Hello and welcome to another episode of Painting the Corners. It's Johnny Logan and a special guest, Brendan Baranov today, or as we know him, Brendo. Uh, Logan and I went to high school with Brendo and he joined our, our baseball team, high school team as a stats guy, gave us all the scouting reports, spray charts for, for how to shift guys. So he was just as much of an integral part of the team as any one of us. And we're, we're happy to have him on the pod, but we're not here to talk about the high school memories. We're here to talk about what he did this fall as the photographer for the Arizona Fall League. So yeah, Brendo, we all go way back to the high school days. I, I say way back, but we're only in college. But yeah, we go back and it's, it's pretty cool that uh, he's been given these opportunities. And we'd love to know more about how this even came to fruition, Brendo. How did you get started on this path towards working for being employed by major league baseball yeah so i mean it was pretty much just uh everything fell into place at the right time so last year they had you know their content creators and photographers and stuff um i came along just to kind of shoot for fun i shot some stuff through like the asu internship program they got me a media credential to do it i just met the communication staff and the right people and this year those photographers and content creators they upgraded they went on to bigger and better things and the spot was open and thankfully I was in the right place at the right time and able to take on the job for this year that is awesome and uh, we know you also had some experience in spring training at the Dodgers facility was that another case of just being in the right place at the right time I know you you go to college in Arizona so that was a, a convenient spot for you yeah so about January during the lockout they had started doing the hiring applications for the photographer gig to do Camelback Ranch. So that's for the Dodgers and the White Sox because they share their facility. And then the lockout was going on and no one heard anything and it kept getting delayed longer and longer. And then just when it came down to it, the lockout ended and two days later I heard back from them and it just, again, yeah, it fell right place, right time. They called me, said, you know, most people can't do it last second because it's just coming out on the fly. Um, luckily I'm just, you know, a college student. I don't need the full-time job yet. I was able to take on the one month job and did the spring training for both the White Sox and the Dodgers. That is awesome. So were your, were your pictures used by like MLB and the, the real media people? So yeah, for the fall league, you can find my stuff on like MLB pipeline, MILB, um, even like MLB prospect articles. So stuff you see from like um, Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, most of the pictures you'll see in that stuff is probably a picture that I took. That is really awesome. And can you just tell everyone what the AFL really is, what it's all about? Yeah, so the Arizona Fall League is the best instructional baseball league that they have that's affiliated with the MLB. It's The best way to describe it is kind of like an all-star team made up of all 30 MLB prospects. So each team gets to bring seven prospects and there's six fall league teams that are divided up upon five MLB teams and they're clumped together and you kind of have 35 man rosters of just all-star teams and they play for 40 days as soon as the season ends from October to November. Wow, that is really, really interesting. And you, given this opportunity, where do you kind of envision it going from here? Do you, do you feel like you're going to continue working for Major League Baseball? I know you mentioned that uh, some of the people that worked in your position in, in a previous season kind of moved on to bigger and better things. Is that in, in your future as well? or? 
Yeah, so, I mean, obviously it kind of feels like a player perspective where the goal is always to keep moving up. The Fall League is used as an instructional league for the players, but as much as it is for the staff. So you'll find after a couple years, the communication staff, the baseball ops, those people also move into MLB jobs. And I think the goal eventually is to work for an MLB team, hopefully sooner than later. But I've already, I like to go on with this is that uh, I'd like to do the Fall League as many years as possible, even if I do get a job with MLB, because I just think the Fall League is the most unique thing they have in sports, and I love shooting it. That's really awesome. So can you break us down, like, what happened when you first got there and, like, what your days kind of looked like? Yeah, so, I mean, it looks like three different days. So one day is Monday, Tuesday, Friday, they do batting practice. So on a day like that, I wake up at 7 or whatever. I have school from 8 to 10, have to be at the park at 1030, um, shoot both teams batting practice, and then the game starts at 1230. Game goes from about 1230 to 3. And then after that, I edit the photos, get everything uploaded. Sometimes like if Jordan Walker or a big prospect hit a home run, that needs to be uploaded faster. So MILB and MLB Pipeline can get that up too. And then I'm done, you know, go home. A non-batting practice day, I have to be at the ballpark by 11 o'clock. Just simple, you know, the infield, outfield, the stretch and toss, whatever. Same deal, get a run out, game starts edit video, just like that. And then there's some days where they do double headers. So we've got the first game at 1230. Don't have to shoot batting practice on a day like that. That game ends at three. Then you have the night game at a different stadium that'll start at six, but they do BP. So have to be there at about four o'clock BP game. And then on a day like that, I'm done at like 1030, 11. Wow. So were you like reporting to anyone directly or was it really just very independent? No. So we have a communication staff. We've got our two supervisors and one that works more for like getting interviews done for the players. And then there's the guy I report to. His name was Joe. Basically anything I send that needs to go up on one of the Instagrams, um, I'd send to Joe and he directs it out for everyone. So all I have to do is get the content and then it's passed along into a system to get out to everybody else. That is that is pretty incredible that, you know, you got this opportunity, of course. And I'm kind of curious, through your time spent here, what kind of interactions are you able to have? Are you are you close enough to the players where you are able to, to have some relationships? Or what does that look like? It's, it's a really unique experience because everyone who's there is just trying to prove themselves and have a good time. So, you know, the guys are loose. They're just trying to play ball. So it's different, you know, during that season where they're, you know, don't talk to me locked in, you know, it's kind of like they have that all-star game feeling. So yeah, you meet guys, we get general managers, scouts, all those types of people come out for weeks at a time and you get to meet some cool people. And sometimes, you know, we do like taking the field with them. So we run out with them, do behind the scenes stuff. So you get to kind of see what these guys routines are because, you know, they're all independent. So given that, do you have any specific interactions with some notable prospects and, and some stories you might be able to share with our audience here? Yeah, I'll start with the one that I'm sure all the Padres fans are waiting to hear. Jackson Merrill is easily one of the greatest guys I've ever met doing photography. Not just, you know, posing for the camera or anything. He's just, he says hi to every single player when he gets there, you know, just security, staff. He's 
first one there for arrival shots. He's um, he's a really good guy. I gotta say the best one though I met was Noel V Marte. So Noel V is now a Reds prospect. He doesn't speak fluent English, so he has a translator with him as well. Um, we did one interview with him about just not baseball related stuff. So, you know, what would you be if you didn't play baseball? What's your favorite restaurant? That type of stuff. Um, and he said he would be an accountant if he did not play baseball. And a lot of those guys from the DR have their nicknames, you know, El Mago, El Nino, that type of stuff. He doesn't have one, but he wants one. So me and him came up with El Contador, which is the accountant in Spanish. So that was kind of our thing during the fall. <laughs> um, I told him if he goes big, you know, he needs to take that with him. And that needs to be, you know, trademarked by us. So you mentioned you got a lot of like GMs and scouts and other like, you know, non-players staff. Do you have any any special interactions with with those kind of people? Yeah. So funny you say that. So at the beginning of the year, before the players are out there playing, you know, they have to get there because as soon as the season ends, they have about three days to arrive, get to their hotels, get their rental cars situated, that type of stuff. So we only have three baseball operations people. So it's a pretty crazy flowing process. So while they're doing that, you have to have, you know, the team contact that you get in touch with. You call them up. They, you know, you just say like, blah, 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 these players made it or these players haven't made it, you know, you're all set to go for the season. And that's kind of like the last check, you know, confirming everyone passed their physical, made it ready to play. During that time, you know, as a photographer, there's not a lot to do when the players, you know, aren't on the field. So they had me, they asked me if I could help them do a couple calls. And all I had to do, a quick 30 seconds, you know, pick up the number, call it, tell them their players are good or not good. But it doesn't tell you the contact name because, you know, the baseball operations people already know who their contacts are. Obviously, I don't because this ain't my job. So the first number I get slid over, you know, it just, he said, call it, tell them they're good to go. Their players are good. So I called the number and the guy, after a few rings, answers and he goes, this is Brian Cashman. And, you know, I knew I knew that name somewhere and the heart kind of dropped for a second. I was like, of the Yankees? And I hit him with the little little question in there which probably wasn't very professional um and said yes probably not <laughs> thinking who the heck is calling me you know and not knowing it's Brian Cashman um and then I was like oh well hi you know your players are good to go for the fall and that was it and you know it felt like an eternity but it was only like a 20 second call and I was sweating bullets for sure <laughs> that's way too funny yeah I, uh, I'd be interested to to hear his perspective from that, probably he's thinking, hey, some weird intern just called me. Yeah. But uh, no, that's that's pretty special, though, that you get those type of opportunities. So given given that sort of scope of things, it, you're not just a photographer. So do you find that having diverse interactions with not only players, but, you know, the baseball ops and all that sort of thing might guide your interest in the future towards I don't know, working in front office, something other than photography? Or do you feel like photography is probably what you're going to stick with? It's actually interesting because like you said, we get a lot of unique opportunities that aren't stuck to our job tasks because, you know, we're a small staff, you know, it's a small 
program. So you got people running all over the place and sometimes they just need an extra hand and that's what I can do. After seeing that baseball office stuff, I mean, those guys are running back and forth 24 hours on the phone all the time. Um, I don't know if I have that in me to do. Um, and I've learned to respect those people a lot um, after seeing what they do just for the two months. So I would probably stay in my own lane and stick to photography and videography. But um, I definitely respect the heck out of people that do choose to do front office work. So I got to ask you, kind of switching back to your to your photography thing here. I've uh, obviously follow you fairly closely on your social medias and everything that you post. And I've seen the uh, pictures that you have with Jason Dominguez, the one of the top Yankees prospects and one of the better known prospects in baseball. I'm wondering if there's a cool story behind that. Yeah, so Jason was a wild card when he got there. Um, on his report, he had a translator coming with him. So, you know, to my knowledge, he doesn't speak any English, you know, or very, very little English that he needs a translator. Obviously, we didn't come in a lot of contact the first couple weeks because he was in a late arrival to the fall league. So he missed media day. So with that being said, I had only seen him once or twice just pass by. We had the triple header at Arizona State, and they were the third game of the day. He showed up in the most positive mood I had ever seen before. Uh, he was out there signing autographs signed probably for every single person that was there, just laughing, messing around with the teammates, having a good time. Um, I was sitting there with a few other staff members out front of the dugout, and he came up to me, never introduced himself before, and just says, I need to use your camera. And, you know, it's Jason Dominguez, you know, I'm not going to say no, and we weren't shooting anything, it was in between games, so I handed him the camera, uh, and he went, he shot his coaches, his teammates, um, he even started taking pictures of the fans, and that was kind of just like the introduction of Jason Dominguez to me as this guy who's, you got to remember, he's still only 19 years old, and that was kind of the teenage uh, person inside of him. Yeah, that's great. That's just so awesome to to get those really unique interactions with the players. But uh, back to the the actual games on the field, you know, of course, that there's going to be lots of new rule changes coming to MLB next year and potentially in, in the coming years as well. Were any of those rule changes on display at the AFL? Yeah, so um, they like to call the AFL the guinea pig league because, yeah, we tried out all the new rules that are going to be implemented this year. So we had uh, ABS system, auto balls and strikes, um, the bigger bases, um, the pitch clock, and the shift restrictions, which were implemented slowly into the fall league, which was actually different. You know, because this year in the minor leagues, in some leagues, they still could shift. So they kind of slowly progressed that one in. Yeah, so the ABS system was the most interesting because a lot of people hadn't used it before, and especially the fans. So the way they tried out the ABS system this year is it was in use for, you know, like the systems to have. But it, the umpire called personally based off what he saw, not using the ABS, but they had it like for accuracy trackers and to make sure it worked. Um, but they did an ABS um, challenge system. So the way that works is each team gets three challenges throughout the entire game. Um, and it has to be called within three seconds of the pitch being called a ball or strike. And only the pitcher, catcher, and hitter can challenge. Very like tennis. 
Right. And it's like football, you know, if you challenge and you get it right, you get your challenge back. So we saw a lot of that and it gets the fans involved, right? So like there was one video of Jason Dominguez. It was called a strike on a full count pitch. He challenges it. All you have to do is tap your head. Um, and then the umpire indicates that they're challenging. It goes up on the scoreboard. They show, you know, like that little pitch tracker you see on game day or something on at bat. Um, and it shows like the direction the pitch came in. And if it's green, it's a ball. If it's red, it's a strike. And it gets the crowd into it. So it was originally called a strike, then called ball four. And the crowd just goes nuts because they think it's awesome that either the umpire was wrong or that there's a challenge system in baseball that's fun. And it's just a unique thing that they're implementing. That is awesome. And the thing that struck me most about that video, because I saw it too, of course, just how quick and seamless it was. You know, we've been used to these challenges for years with, oh, you know, they got to go to the dugout, put on the headsets, you know, five minutes later, okay, they got the call. But no, it's the hitter challenges it immediately. Like he, he knows what he saw. And then boom, the umpire signals to the scoreboard operator and they put it up on the board 10 seconds later, you know, whether it was a ball or a strike. Yeah, I was just going to say that I think it's a big thing too, because when you hear fans or people on social media comment about it, they feel that the ABS is something that'll slow down the game again, you know, in the challenge system and that stuff. And it would go, you know, reverse of the way we want it to go. But you see this way is faster. You have less arguing, you know, and it helps the umpire too, right? That pitch was just on the outside corner. It was called a strike. Well, now he knows for the future, you know, a little bit better of where that zone was. So just for my own personal understanding, you get how many of these a game? Or is it endless until you get it wrong type of deal? You get each team gets three challenges. Um, and if you get it right, you get one back. And, you know, if you get it wrong, you lose it. You basically just have three wrong guesses, basically. Correct. So in theory, if you continue to to challenge and your challenge is correct, you could have a thousand. Yeah, essentially, yeah. And the interesting part about it, though, is we rarely saw the pitcher and catcher challenge. It was probably, I don't know the exact statistic, from just the games I was at, it would have to be over 90% hitter challenges. Interesting. I think it's just too risky you know, because it's for offense and defense, you only get three, you know, so as the pitcher, you don't want to lose it for your offense for the entire game if you take away all three. Very interesting. So then specifically diving into the pitcher and catcher, do you feel like more so the catcher is challenging? Because as a pitcher, I feel like you have an idea of the strike zone for sure, but the catcher has a, a much better vision than you. He's stable. You're not. Yeah, I would think... I felt like the catcher called it more. And yeah, I think they tell pitchers, you know, not to challenge unless you're really certain. Because I think, you know, later in those counts, they get into that emotional standpoint where they feel like they had that strike three or needed that strike three. But you see the catcher stand up for the pitcher a lot too, where if he sees the pitcher wasn't happy with it, sometimes, you know, the catcher will just do it just to, you know, show he's got his pitchers back. No, that's really, really cool. And so kind of staying with the pitchers, and this isn't something that's that's a huge one because we've seen it in baseball for a little bit now, but it's going to be more strictly implemented coming up in the next year. How did the pitch clock seem to affect anything? Did you feel like the games were significantly shorter? So at the beginning, you know, they felt shorter. 
Um, but then, you know, once it gets implemented and they're all that short, when you get that extra inning game or something, it feels long. Um, I would say it definitely feels um, shorter, like in between half innings. You know, like it feels like you're only out in the field for four or five minutes. I don't know. It just felt really fast, but I can't really describe how it felt faster, which is actually better because it doesn't feel like it's intentionally being sped up. doesn't feel rushed. Yes. It just kind of feels like it gets into that flow after the first couple weeks. Yeah. I would say those first two weeks, it felt fast, but it felt rushed because some of these pitchers hadn't had the pitch clock yet. So, or some of the big league pitchers, you know, who didn't get enough innings came back down and pitched in this, and they certainly hadn't had the pitch clock before. So, at the beginning, we were getting a lot of those, you know, ran out of time, extra ball. We had some guys get walked because of it. Um, we had some guys get the extra base because, you know, for whatever reason of the pitch clock. So it was interesting. But once it's one of those things, once they settled in with it, it worked fine. I think, you know, once these big leaguers get it for spring training, it'll be the same deal, you know, learn to it and then it'll be fine as well. I know Johnny and I had talked about it in the past on the podcast, and we're we're still excited to see who the first pitcher is that's going to throw his temper tantrum when it doesn't go his way, and the pitch clock, you know, forces him to walk in the a go ahead run or something. So, but yeah, hopefully spring training kind of allows that to get whittled out, and that doesn't happen too much, and doesn't have too much effect on the game. Were there any like incidents like that where a pitcher kind of lost his cool, or or even just like a, a spot where the pitch clock got implemented and walked in a run or something like that yeah so actually in the play-in game so like the semifinals um late innings two outs nobody on uh it was full count and the clock ran out and it kind of just looked like he ran out of time and just wasn't paying attention and then he stepped off the mound and started yelling to the umpire that he had something in his eye like a fly flew in his eye but he didn't have any more step offs left. So he was like, even if I like had something in my eye, like it still counts, which was a random argument, but you kind of have to feel for him. Like, you know, it's a new thing to him and he didn't want to throw it all funky. So that was the biggest situation we had, you know, late in a playoff game where he wasn't necessarily arguing. He just wasn't familiar with the rules and was trying to figure out what the deal was. Um, And then, Noel V. Marte went on and hit a two-run home run the next batter and won the game. So, you know, you could say it affected it in a pretty big way, but it's hard to tell if these guys are just losing track of time or they really just, you know, are a little off their rocker with the pitch clock. Interesting, interesting. Okay, so this last one isn't really a a rule change, uh, more of an equipment change because – We've noticed the last few years that the baseball that MLB has been using has changed a little bit. Obviously, they're experimenting with, you know, how to combat this whole sticky stuff deal. And we've heard rumblings that MLB is going to try out uh, a new kind of tackier ball in the next few years to encourage pitchers to not use to pine tar and other kind of sticky stuff. Did you see any evidence of that in the AFL? Yes. So... They used a special type of baseball for MLB-ready pitchers only. Um, And the baseball, 
I would say it kind of had like a sandpaper type of feel to it, but it wasn't too rough. It also had like a smooth powder layer, powder layer around it. Um, I was never a pitcher myself, so I wouldn't really know what type of difference it makes. But just listening to the players, there was definitely, you know, they could tell a difference between the two balls, which is hopefully good, right? Because the idea is to take away the want and need to use pine tar and rosin and sunscreen and all that stuff. It's supposed to be like an incentive. They only used it for a guy who threw in the MLB, though, because they want to get their feedback on the difference, right. if they liked it, that type of stuff. Um, so it was a unique change because in the past they had just tried different pastes or powders or whatever. But this was the first time they went to a whole new adjustment to try to use as an incentive. Interesting. And did you notice like any feedback from the players? Did they like it, the pitchers who, who used it? So the pitchers didn't really have a, a definite like or hate to it you know it was a personal preference of what they like because some people just like to use rosin or lick their fingers which they can't do anymore but you can lick and wipe and you know there's all sorts of rhythms to it um we had henry davis the pirates top catching prospect might even be their top prospect in general who absolutely clobbered a ball using those balls um and he pimped it whatever and the ball just barely went over the fence so he thought he clobbered it and he felt that the baseball had something to do with it. Interesting. He was the only guy that hit a home run off it, given the baseballs weren't used very often. So he was really the only example they could use. But he seemed to not be a fan as a hitter. But who knows? Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you can never make both parties happy and when it comes to hitters and pitchers, someone's gotta someone's gotta be mad at the the changes they make with the Absolutely. ball. So, so I guess the kind of final new change that is going to be implemented to Major League Baseball last year that was implemented in the Arizona Fall League, I'm assuming, would be the larger bases. Am I correct on that? Yes. Yeah. The they were famously, infamously called the pizza box bases. Um, when they're out on the field, you really can't tell the difference. Um, I'm not sure if it helps stolen bases or anything like that other than just the safety. But when you, uh, after the game, get up close to them, uh, you can certainly tell that that they are quite large. Did the players really have anything? I mean, other than just a nickname, did they like them, hate them, not really care? I, I think, yeah, just players kind of called it the pizza box base and that was it. I really don't think it didn't cause any injuries. It did not didn't prevent anything or not prevent anything. It kind of was just there. Um, so for that matter, I think I'd say there were no real complaints about them. Got it. Well, I think that's all we got for you today, Brenda. We really appreciate the time. Uh, shout out your socials and stuff right now. Let's uh, let our viewers kind of know where to, where to find you and find your work. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram uh, at BBFlix. Um, nice and simple. Um, and hopefully in the future you can catch more of my work uh, on MLB social medias. Absolutely. We're looking forward to it. Uh, thank you again, Brendo. Thanks for being on the pod, and uh, we look forward to seeing more of your work in the future. Thanks, guys.